You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Judges 19. I'm not sure exactly how to title my message tonight, but if you want to put a title to it, you could put something like this. How significant... Or how important are your landmarks? The message, uh, my mom used to say, uh, when she would tell us something, like a new story or something, she would say something like this, do you want the good news or the bad news first? And so tonight, the message is going to be a bit heavy, but it does end on a good note, okay? But they say in the Bible, laughter is good like medicine. And we are in a fear-demic this summer, it seems like. There's been a lot of fear and a lot of... And I, I understand why, but it's almost like the media just keeps feeding that fear. So tonight I just thought of a, a little story I come across lately that I'll, before I get into the message, I'll, I'll share. Uh, two individuals, their names were Mildred and Polly. Mildred was about 80 years old. She was a widow, had been for a number of years. Her husband, Bill, had died many years before. Mildred lived all alone with the exception of Polly. Polly was her parrot. And Polly would always be down in the kitchen. And when Mildred would come down for coffee every morning, Polly would greet her and say her name, and it was just a real joyous time as Mildred sat down and drank her coffee and read the morning paper. One particular morning, Mildred came downstairs, and everything was quiet. And she walked over to the parrot cage, and the parrot was just limp as could be. And she panicked. She quick took that parrot and put it in the back seat of her car and rushed to the vet. And she ran into the vet's office and ran up to the vet and said, you've got to do something. It looks like Polly has passed. And so the vet quick put Polly on the examination table and got out his stethoscope and he listened real carefully and finally he, sh- he shook his head at Mildred and he says, I'm sorry, you're, you are right, I think Polly maybe has passed. He said, surely not. She's been with me for 20 years, there's got to be something you can do. And he said, well, okay, just a minute. So he left the room and came back in a couple minutes later with a black Labrador retriever and the dog came up to the examining table and put his two paws up and he sniffed that parrot and finally the dog in big droopy ears looked up at the vet and just shook its head and the vet led the dog out of the room and the vet came back in with a cat and put the cat up on the examining table and the cat sniffed that parrot and meowed a few times and shook its head and the vet took the cat out and so the vet came back in and sat down at the computer and was typing up the bill. Mildred was pretty distraught and handed the bill to her and Bill said $150. She said $150 just to tell me that my cat has passed. That's outrageous. And he said, well, it would have only been 20, but after the lab report and the cat scan that you insisted on, it went to 150. So anyhow, I thought that was pretty good, all right? It doesn't really have anything to do with my message, but anyhow, sometimes we need a little bit of humor, amen? Um, Tonight, let's go to Judges 19. And read verse 19 to 30. Yet there is both straw and provender for our asses, and there is bread and wine also for me, and for thy handmaid, and for thy young man which is with thy servants, and there is no want of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with thee. Howsoever, let all thy wants lie upon me, only lodge not in the street. So he brought him into his house, and gave him provender unto the asses, and they washed their feet, and did eat and drink. Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about, and beat at the door, and spake to the master of the house. The old man saying, Bring forth the man that came into thine house, that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them, and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you, do not so wickedly. 
seeing that this man is come into, thine, into mine house, do not this folly. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them I will bring out now, and humble ye them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vile a thing. But the man would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them, and they knew her, and abused her all that night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of the man's house, where her Lord was till it was light. And her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house, and her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, Up, and let us be going. But none answered. Then the man took her up upon an ass, and the man rose up and gat him unto his place. When he was come into his house, he took a knife and laid hold on his concubine and divided her together with her bones into twelve pieces and sent her to all the coasts of Israel. And it was so that all that saw it said, There was no such deed done nor seen from that day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. Consider of it, take advice, speak your mind. Wow, what a sad, sad story. Sad story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight as we go into your word, and we share a message tonight I think that is very relevant for the day and age that we are in, the battle we are facing right now. I pray that anything I say, Lord, if it's from you, would just penetrate the hearts of each individual here. But Lord, if it's not from you, just be like the chaff that would fall by the wayside. We need your anointing. We need your guidance and direction. We ask this in your name. Amen. Take your Bibles also and turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Or 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to go to there just a little bit later. This passage in Judges 19, you might say, what does it have to do with anything tonight? Well, it's a great example of what happens when lawlessness abounds. If you read that passage, you can even go back to Genesis 19 and look at the account where Lot was in Sodom and the chaos that went on around his household. In both of those passages, you don't find that any law enforcement of any kind did anything to stop that. Now you might say, Marlon, you're kind of going out on a limb. Read it for yourself. I don't see anything like that. But tonight, I'm going to give you a history lesson, so bear with me. I did some research in the last couple of weeks because I think the old saying is you can learn from history, or history repeats itself. That's partly true, but history also rhymes. So I'm going to take you on a little history lesson tonight, things that I didn't know as recent as three or four weeks ago, but I've done some studying. How many of you here tonight at Eastside know what the name Crystal Knight or Crystal Knocked means? Anybody? Okay, not a bond trigger. You've already heard this message once before or twice. Anybody else? You do, sir. Yes. Okay, I'll tell you what it was. Kristallnacht, as you speak, as you say it in German, was a night of broken glass. November 9th and 10th, 1938, brown shirts and stormtroopers burned 267 synagogues throughout Germany and Austria that Hitler had control of. That is similar, similar okay, I'm sorry, in those two days, mobs destroyed over 7,000 Jewish businesses. That is similar to Antifa and Black Lives Matter today. The mentality is the same mentality as what we have today. The Holocaust was ignited that night. The match was lit. As mobs went throughout the cities, they broke out windows and looted and burned stores. Does that sound familiar, anybody? Brown shirts were roaming the streets and demanding people kneel at their feet. In 1938, it was very common to assault a Jewish home. People would come out and kneel at their feet. CNN lately interviewed the two main leaders of Black Lives Matter, and they admitted they are Marxist, trained to take down the American government. 
They're more dangerous than Marxists because they're a cross, I believe, between Marxism and Nazism. Nazism and communism is very similar. It's socialist government, dictatorship, and a control of people throughout mind, speech, life, actions, etc. The brown shirts were running through the street demanding that people kneel at their feet. Book burnings, censorship, the empty libraries, they burned their past. CNN, MSNBC, and all the major networks will not put anyone on the air today that does not share their beliefs. Sound familiar? Facebook will censor you, but videos on how to take down American statues will stay up. Also very popular in Germany is what they called snitching. People were paid to tattle on the Jews. If anyone did anything against Hitler, they would have stormtroopers come knocking at your door. They were snitching on neighbors and co-workers. There was tremendous propaganda to put out to turn people against the Jews. In 2000, I was in North Korea, and snitching was very rampant. When I was in North Korea, I was assigned a special agent, they called it, or a secret service. He was to watch me the whole time I was there. And if he didn't do his due diligence, one of the other agents would snitch on him and he would lose his job, and he would get paid more, and that kind of thing. There was tremendous propaganda out to turn people against the Jews. The greatest tragedy then was that good people stood by and did nothing. 85 to 90 percent of the German people did not agree with what went on, but they stood by and did nothing. Police stood by and let it happen, just like in Genesis 19 and Judges 19 that I just read. What a lot of people don't know, and what I didn't know about Crystal Night, was it all was started by the killing of a man a German diplomat by the name of Ernest von Roth. Herschel Greenspan, a Jewish man, killed von Roth. Hitler's propaganda machine went to work. That happened on November 7th. Two days later, riots broke out. The same thing happened in America. Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd. By the way, those two had worked together at the same nightclub for almost 17 years. What ignited the tragedy in America? The killing of George Floyd. Unless you dig into history, you'll never find this out. Von Roth was a German diplomat, but he also was a sodomite, and he had a relationship with Greenspan. They were meeting at a bar in Paris one night when he found out that the other was unfaithful. Von Roth started being unfaithful to Greenspan. In a rage of jealousy, Greenspan killed Von Roth. Even though Von Roth was a German, he was not a fan of Hitler. When that happened, Hitler saw it as an opportunity to inflame the German people against the Jewish people. But he lied to them as to why he killed him. It was used as a match. Sounds very familiar. Rahm Emanuel, the former mayor of Chicago, later in the cabinet, in Obama's cabinet, said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And trust me, they don't. About a week and a half ago, 15,000 black transgenders marked in New York City and over 12,000 in Los Angeles. If you look at the core of Black Lives Matter, you will find it front and center is a sodomite agenda. Hang on, hang on with me. I'm just giving you this history lesson. I'm going to make an application. Could you give me a water, please, son? Greenspan killed Von Roth on Monday. By Wednesday and Thursday, Kristallnacht occurred, and the leaders did nothing. Hitler's brown shirts, thugs, took over the police force. Let me tell you, folks, what's going on in this country, and we travel a lot. Black Lives Matter and Antifa want to have the police force out of our cities. They're taking a page right out of Hitler's playbook. You can go to Seattle, you can go to Minneapolis, or you can go to Portland and other places. Hitler then issued a decree that if anyone was caught having a firearm or a knife, it'd be 20 years in prison. 20 years in prison. If they were found to be in possession of any of those. When von Roth was murdered, the German leaders said they would do nothing. That's very similar to our Democratic Party today. Our Democratic Party today, I believe, is 
Marxist and communist, but try to make us believe they're patriotic. The Nazis believed they had been robbed by the Jews all throughout the centuries. So what did they do? We want what the Jews have. Does that sound familiar? We want to be reprobated. 95% folks of American people never owned any slaves. But 600,000 men died to end slavery. Jewish stores were looted and burned. The people went into cemeteries and took down monuments and statues. The Jews then were taxed 20% of all their possessions to pay for the destruction that had been done in Germany. This is history. Kristallnacht Kristallnacht released the Holocaust and it was the birth of World War II. I just saw a week ago the mayor of Minneapolis asked President Trump for $500 million to rebuild its downtown. While we say that's ludicrous, would you believe it that Mitch McConnell just put a bill to the Senate asking that the Senate approves that $500 million. By the way, McConnell's a Republican, so it's not just Democrats. So you need to pray for our president to be strong on that. A little more history, then I'll wrap up with my points. Let me tell you the history of the similarities between America and Nazi Germany. Many Americans are afraid to fly the American flag for fear of being attacked. There's a tremendous spirit of fear in our country. We've been on the road almost nonstop since June 12th. And I see it everywhere we go, a lot out in the East Coast, New York, Virginia, Maryland, and so forth. You know, gone, what are some things that are gone? Gone, gone with the wind is gone. No Eskimo pie, no Aunt Jemina, no Uncle Ben. It's just crazy, it really is. But you know, an animal senses fear when they attack you. I think back to about 20 years ago, I was at a farm in northern Missouri and I was in sales with agricultural products. And I don't have a big fond love of dogs the way it is, but I remember going to this farmer's house, knocking on his door. And uh, Bowser was over hiding in the bushes and I saw him, he's a big black German shepherd. And the closer I got to that door, I could hear the rumble in Bowser's throat. It wasn't a good sign, but I, I heard somebody tell me once, don't ever let a dog know you're scared. So I just thought I'm gonna go be rough and tough and I'm gonna go up there and knock on the door of that house. And as I knocked, I looked around to see if my life was being threatened or not. Well, that's all it took. He saw the fear in my eyes, and he came out of the bushes. And like that, he got in the back of my leg, took a chunk of my Levi's and a chunk of flesh for his midday lunch. Like that, the farmer opened the door and called the dog off. And I thought, it's amazing how animals know fear. We were in Oakland, Maryland a couple weeks ago doing a service, and a former Amishman came to me that night and he trains Morgan horses. And he says, the Morgan horse knows exactly when the trainer or when the rider is fearful. That might explain why when Allison was 14, she bought a Morgan and we never got along with that horse. That horse knew you and I were both scared of him. So anyhow, that's a, that was a business proposition that went south. But anyhow, um, animals know our fear, but you know what else? Many of our communist leaders know our fear. And they know if they can get you fearful, they can get you to do about anything. So I want to exhort you tonight. What's some lessons that we can learn from the Holocaust? The Jews say that we stood by and did nothing. What happens today? Manhattan's boarded up. Minneapolis, there's over 700 stores shut down. On city councils across our nation, there's been resolutions passed to defund the police. In major cities like, I I just looked this up, San Francisco, San Diego, L.A., New York, Oakland, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Denver, Winston-Salem, Chicago, D.C., and I could go on. 
But you know, it's not that they don't want police. Not that they don't want authority. Let me put it that away. They want their authority. That's what they want. It's not that they're anti any authority. They want their authority. So what happened in Germany on Kristallnacht or Crystal Night? The churches said nothing, by and large. Three to four pastors spoke up, and they got thrown into concentration camps. People bowed to the Nazis. They kneeled to the lie and followed the cultural trend. I, was, I shared this message about two weeks ago in a, in a church out in Pennsylvania, and afterward, a well-meaning man came up to me, and he says, what you shared this morning would never happen in America. And I said, really, why? Why do you say that? He says, because our pastors would take a stand. I wish he was right, and I know there's some that would. But I'm sad to say we travel a lot, and we get into a lot of good churches. You need to pray for your pastor. Give him encouragement, because I know a lot of pastors that wouldn't stand. And I'm saying, I pray every day that I would stand. You pray for your pastor. You encourage him. They, we, our pastors need Aaron and hers come along beside them. And I can spring freely tonight, he's not here, but I would just say, get behind your pastor, encourage him. The Bible says, word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. Our pastors need encouragement. Because I, I hope that, that guy is wrong. That he, I hope he's right when he said this would never happen in America. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I think in Acts chapter 2, the apostles there were closer to reaching the world 100 years after the death of Christ than, you, than we are today with all our technology. Why do you think that is? Because they didn't fear. Where did that come from? They walked with Jesus. They had no fear. There's some people in the Bible that really stand out to me, people that were fearless. Daniel prayed three times a day, and when that decree was passed, he went right to the window like nothing was wrong. He didn't care what kind of acceptable decree came. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How about Paul and Silas? Wouldn't you like to put them in the state of California about right now? They sang out loud in prison. People that stood, Nehemiah, he knew there was a problem to solve. Noah, he was all in no matter what the cost. And by the way, study your Bible, but there's only one time that God told Noah to build an ark. I'm afraid God would have to tell me a lot more than once to build an ark and take 120 years of ridicule. John the Baptist, he was willing to take a risk. Caleb, one of the, 12, one of the 10 spies, him and Joshua, we name our sons after Caleb and Joshua. He had a different spirit, the Bible says. In fact, I told my wife the other day, I said, if God would bless us, now we're 52 and 53, but if God would bless us with another son, I'm going to name him Caleb. She said, I'm going to name him Isaac. So anyhow, but uh, <laughs> Caleb, we name, our, we name our children after Joshua and Caleb, but we don't name them after the other spies. Why? Because they had a spirit of fear. So let's look at some of these examples. And let's not thought that the spirit of fear take over. So what do we do? I and mean, I can sit here and I can go on and on. I think I've given you enough history. So what's a Christian really supposed to do about all this? Well, let me just share one more thought. In the last, since about 1960, that's 60 years, they have tried very hard through secular humanism and evolutionary theory to indoctrinate the colleges, the schools, the universities. So if you're about 40 years old and down, as a whole, I'm making a general statement, you've pretty much bought into the system, the socialist system. 
Now they're coming after watering down the Bible colleges, many of the churches and all that. You know, I had to think of when I was over in China and North Korea, quietly going down a city back alley in Beijing after 9 o'clock one night, two by two, and how the Christians, they social distance, but they social distance for a reason. They social distance and didn't all go into that house church at once because of fear of getting caught. But give it about 30 minutes, they were all assembled together. And they had an amazing service. And then we all left, kind of two by two, so the authorities wouldn't catch us. It's different than what America's used to. We don't know what this is. So tonight, I'm going to give you four points that I want to encourage you with. Second, I want you to encourage you to watch. Watch in all things. Second Timothy 2, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4, if I get it right here. Yes, here we go. My Bible's pretty scribbled up. Sometimes I can't even read my own verses. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Dads, as leaders of your home, be detectives. Be on the lookout. Keep your eyes open. You might say, open to what? What kind of doctrine is out there? Is it sound doctrine? If you're listening to a pastor preach a message, is it sound? Does it back up with Scripture? but maybe even in the more material sense. A couple nights ago, we were at a church in Pennsylvania, and uh, we were getting ready for a service on Sunday morning. My daughter, Alice, the one about being married, was out in the church graveyard. You might say, what was she doing in the church graveyard? Well, she thought that would be a good secluded place to go and talk to her boyfriend and nobody hear her, okay? Well, anyhow, I went out and I, I told her, you better come close to the bus because we're in a different America than we were 10, 15, 20 years ago. We're in a different America. And uh, she meant no harm. She came to the bus and it's all is well and her boyfriend's sitting here tonight. But I think you get the point. And moms and dads, be careful with your little children. There's a group of people out there who would love to pray on them. And we are responsible. But be careful what kind of music they're listening to, what kind of videos you let them see. Watch. And then the second point, stand or hold fast. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse, 12 and th- verse 13 says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. And then I love this. Number three, continue. 2 Timothy 3, 14. And this is a great, great verse. verse. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Paul is speaking to Timothy, Okay? They're talking as a child, he's learned the Holy Scriptures. He's admonishing him. Continue on. And then I would say to you as a church, don't let issues like COVID, Black Lives Matter, all these issues, don't let it divide you. We've been to churches where this is literally, in this summer, where the pastors stepped down, the deacons have stepped down because of division and differing opinions. Don't let this divide you. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then teach your children. 2 Timothy 3.15, and I already quoted it, I'm going to say it again, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
couple weeks ago, in fact, it was about early, early uh, July, I believe it was, Tucker Carlson on NBC News made a statement. He said, from the Northeast to the Midwest to the Deep South, he said, America's past is coming down. From Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Christopher Columbus, and a host of other generals, the statutes are coming down. He said, America's past is going away. Then he went on and he gave the solution. But the solution he gave, not that I'm trying to knock him tonight, but the solution he gave was not a biblical solution. The solution, folks, tonight I believe we can find in the Bible. I'm going to talk about some landmarks. On our farm sign back in Iowa, we have Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 on our sign. And there's a reason for that. It simply says this. It's what in the Hebrew culture was called the Shema Creed. Every mom and dad knew this verse like the back of their hand. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine house. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk with them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Basically, we're in a culture today that we expect everybody else to raise our children. We really do. We expect the government. One of our former uh, presidential candidates says it takes a village. She actually wrote a book on it. Folks, it doesn't. The pastor of a church is here to exhort and to teach the saints. But as moms and dads, it's our responsibility to teach, teach them. Go home what you hear the pastor say on Sunday and go home and say, here, this is how we live it out. Or search the scriptures yourself too. It's very, very important. What is a landmark, by the way? A landmark is a structure that has significant historical, architectural, or cultural meaning and has been given legal protection from alteration and destruction. So in closing tonight, I'm going to talk about four landmarks in my life that I want to make sure my future generations know about. Now, these may not be 100% the same, but the first one I hope is foundational that you all have. That's the landmark of salvation. Landmark of salvation. For me, I grew up in an Amish Mennonite home. Went to church every Sunday. We never missed. But I lived very much in a culture that let the youth group raise you, okay? Well, water seeks its own level. And actually, I just read an article that your pastor wrote not long ago, and your pastor wrote, uh, this, this article talks about, show me your five closest friends, and I'll show you your future. And there's a lot of truth to that. So young people here tonight, be wise with your friends. But I was not a godly young man. I mentioned earlier tonight, I had a porno pornography addiction as a young age. And at 16, I joined the youth group, and there was a handful of guys there that were not lift building me up. But you know, the truth be known, I wasn't building them up either. So on Friday and Saturday nights, we'd be out, hanging out at the bars, but on Sunday morning, we'd be sitting there acting like everything was fine. I totally faked a salvation experience. Totally faked it 100%. Got baptized in our culture. It was a big deal to become a member of the church at a certain young age. And so I could say a lot more about that. But anyhow, I was lost as lost could be. When I was 18, I was out having a good time with friends one Sunday evening in the state of Indiana, about six hours from home, when I got a phone call that my father was found dead of a heart attack. And uh, I was the oldest boy still at home, and there was five of his children. We were in the middle of a farm crisis. And the banker had told my dad a couple weeks before that that he's probably going to sell us out the next month. And so my dad was under tremendous pressure. 
Interest rates were at 18 and 20 percent. And different people were committing suicide. Dad died of a heart attack. I remember coming back on the farm that morning. I went out in the cow pasture, and I knelt down. I said, Lord, why does this have to happen to me? Funeral came and went. And you would have thought that would have got my attention, but it didn't. I just got back to more drinking and more partying. My mother would stay up night after night and pray for me until she heard me come in the driveway. One night I was so drunk that my car went off the road and one of my friends found it down the ditch about 2 a.m. Me slumped over the front seat. And I remember, I don't remember, but this is what they tell me. They got the car home in the garage and about 4 or 5 o'clock that morning I made my way up to my upstairs bedroom. But I didn't know until years later my mother was kneeling there beside her bed praying for me that night like she had many a night. Almost 20 years old, had told her, wait, young people, if you're here tonight and you're in the youth group, don't waste your youth years. My years 15 to 20 are wasted. They're totally wasted. I'd give anything to do what my sons and daughters do. I couldn't have shared Psalm 23 with anybody. I knew nothing. So young people, don't waste your youth years. Be careful of the friends you have. Shy on my 20th birthday, I went to Ohio to a Bible school not because I cared anything about the Lord. I just wanted to get away. And the third week there, we had to go to revival meetings. It was mandatory. The minister was talking about eternal heaven, eternal hell. I'll try to speed things up here. Um, he said about John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I knew I was going to hell, but I wasn't ready to let all my fun go. I thought it was all fun. But yet, many a night I went to bed, and I was afraid to die, because I thought, surely, I don't want to die. In 1988, when the book came out, some of you know my age and older know what book I'm talking about, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88. First of all, the book is false doctrine, but I remember reading that, and I got scared like, I'll get out, but I wouldn't repent. But that night, I remember I came under such conviction. I remember going to the altar, and a young man from Pennsylvania, Ben Fisher, came up, and he prayed over me, and he prayed 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, that night, I had the new birth experience. I got born again. John 3, 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I went to bed that evening with a peace like I did not have. For 20 years, I was running. I was running. That night, God took the thirst for alcohol from me. And by God's grace, I've never had another drop since. That was a landmark that's very near and dear to me. Very near and dear to me. In fact, Taylor, where are you at? Would you come up here? Taylor, when he was 16 years old, I was speaking in the panhandle of Florida to a group of men at a men's conference. And I was sharing them about passing on our faith to the next generation. Then it convicted me. I thought, you know what? I don't know if my sons know my testimony. So I had him come up, and I just handed him a mic, and I said, I'm going to go sit down. And with fear and trepidation, I went and sat in the front row, and I didn't know if he would be able to speak or not. But he told you a lot what you just heard me say. And the reason I give that as an example is moms and dads, make sure your children know your testimony. You might say, you might be sitting here thinking, well, we can't force Christianity on them. That's a personal choice. Well, let me tell you something. The world is doing everything they can to force their agenda on our boys and girls through their evolutionary humanistic teaching. The least we can do is make it inviting. Make sure they know. I've got six little grandchildren. They're probably not quite old enough to understand, but when they are, I want to make sure that we go to Yachty's for ice cream or something, and I sit on that park bench, 
And I tell Micah and Wallace and Winston and Elliot and Axton and Jubilee what God did on that cold January evening, 1989, to their grandpa. So if you're here tonight and your grandparent and your children are grown and gone, you may think, well, life's just, they went too fast. Hey, call them up. Sit down with them. In Canada, I tell you to go to Tim Hortons. Here, I tell you to go to some coffee shop. But find a place you can sit down and tell them what God did. I'll speed things up. Another landmark for me was about a year after that event. I was in my upstairs bedroom for the first time in my life. I was praying for a godly wife. I grew up in the whole dating game. Hudson, would you come up here? Hudson is 14 years old. And I was up in my upstairs bedroom, I kneeling beside my bed, and I was praying for a godly wife. And I, I was so bitter, even though I was born again, I was so bitter at the Amish Mennonite culture because that's what I grew up in. A lot of rules, a lot of regulation. And that night as I was kneeling beside my bed, the name Becky Stolstwist kept coming to me. Former Amish girl from Lancaster, Pennsylvania that I only ever met two or three times. At first, I, my pride, because of my pride, I just dismissed it. And then it wouldn't leave me. Long story short, she's my wife today. You're going to ask, you can ask me more details later. The reason I bring Hudson up here, when Hudson was two years old, I started challenging my older sons to pray for a godly wife. You know, I'm, I'm about tired of going to places and hearing young people get excited about the next Xbox or the next video game or whatever is coming out. I can't even keep up. But young men, by the way, if you're here tonight and you're not married, would you just raise your hand? If you're a young man, boy, okay, I have a job for you. Starting tonight, when you go to bed, start praying for a godly wife. Hudson started praying for a godly wife when you were two years old. That's 12 years ago. And he always goes one step further. He's praying for a godly little wife. So I always joke to him that she'll probably be some little thing. But he always says a godly little wife. I don't know why. But I'm just encouraged, guys. Guys, God is bigger than we think. God is bigger than we think. So start praying for a godly wife right now. The Bible says he who finds a wife finds a? Amen. Jeremiah's about to find out. Okay. The third thing was, about a year or two after that, we got married, and I came in from work on our farm one day, and my wife's sitting at the kitchen table, and she just got done listening to Dr. Dobson have Judge Heckman on from Michigan. And she said, you won't believe what I heard. I said, what was that? She said, Judge Heckman talked about how his Christians were so anti-abortion, but were not very pro-life. See, the Bible says the fruit of the womb is his reward. It also says his children are as arrows in the hands of a mighty man. I don't know about you, but I'm not a very good shot. When I go hunting, I want lots of ammo, okay? I want lots of ammo. And she said to me that day, she said, how would you feel about allowing God to bless us with children? Well, the doctors had told us when we got married, we would maybe never have any children. True story. I said, Lord, we'll take whatever you give us. And we started praying. Today, God has blessed us with 10 children, and we have six more in heaven because of miscarriages. And that's God. That's the God I serve. That's the third landmark. That's significant in my life. I'm going to mention the final one, and then I'll close with an invitation. The final one happened about 14 years ago. I was leaving Iowa, going to Indianapolis, Indiana, to a father's conference. I went down to Missouri for some business and crossed over at Quincy, Illinois, across the Mississippi River, and I pulled into a gas station to fuel up. I had everything all planned out. I was going to do all this, be at the Father's Conference that night and the next day. As I pulled in that gas station and went inside to pay for my fuel, I noticed there on the counter 
men with Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. It had just come out. So I took a look. I paid for my fuel, and I started taking a look, and I thought to myself, I can buy this, and nobody would know. And then, at least that's what the devil was telling me. Nobody will know. You're a couple hours from home. You're by yourself. Nobody knows. And then God started speaking to me, or should I say I started listening. And the words that came to my mind that day, that afternoon, were the names of five people. Mitchell, Carson, Joshua, Denver, and Taylor. I don't think Hudson was born yet. I remember that I come under such conviction. I laid that magazine down. I went out in the parking lot in the front seat of my 1993 Dodge. Put my head in my lap, and I bawled like a baby. I felt like such a fake. I'd be free for two, three months, and then I'd fall back into it. And I just hated it. That day, I put a stake in that asphalt, an imaginary stake in that asphalt in that convenience store. I built a landmark that I'm not going to let the enemy take down. I was there, and I cried out to God for deliverance. May I just say this? I got to Indianapolis, Indiana, that evening, about 7 o'clock, and I thought I had just a couple minutes before I go to this Father's Conference. I needed fuel again. I'm going to do it right then, so I don't have to worry about it the rest of the weekend. As I pull in the filling station to fuel up, a colored fellow comes running across the street to me, and he says, can you help me? I said, what's the deal? He said, I just got out of prison today, and I think he was serious, sincere. His name was Gerald. I said, well, let me fuel up, and I'll sit down and talk to you. And we sat down, and we had pizza together on that sidewalk, and I had the opportunity of leading Gerald to the Lord. I totally missed the Father's Conference. But God's that evening, anyhow, if I wouldn't have had that battle back there at Quincy, I would have missed Gerald. I'd have missed the opportunity to lead him to the Lord, I promise you. Why did I say that tonight? Those were just four landmarks that, I'm driving our video guy crazy, I'm moving around too much. Those are just four landmarks that I think is very important in my life. But those are mine, they're personal. You've got them yourself. You maybe have more than that. I could have given you a bunch more. But it's very easy tonight, and I know I gave you this history lesson. It's very easy to look at all that's going wrong out there. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, monuments coming down, which by the way, Proverbs 22:28 says, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And I know that's talking about surveying terms. I get it. But let's make it apply to our own lives. Let's not be so quick to let things in our, that are near and dear to us fall down. I would encourage you young people, maybe you're about ready to leave your home. Maybe you're going on with your career, maybe getting married, whatever it may be. Maybe mom and dad over the years have taught you many things. And you're saying, you know what, I know better. I would put life on pause for a couple of years and take seriously and think about some of the landmarks that they put into your life. Make them personal. Make them personal if you can. Tonight, where are you at with landmarks? Friends, we need to have an understanding of the times. Our family did a little getaway back in January, and I told my children, long after I'm dead and gone, there's one thing I want our family to be known, known for, one thing especially. And it says in 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. My prayer for you tonight at Eastside, be like the sons of Issachar. Don't live in a spirit of fear, but understand the times and be able to live life accordingly. 
And as monuments tend to topple around us in culture, I think when judgment begins in the house of the Lord, start looking at your own personal lives. Do you have the monument of salvation? Is that still real to you? Or does that salvation experience not mean so much? Are you a Sunday Christian? Are you just sliding in on Sunday morning, listening to Brother Jet give a message, and then maybe you're on the bus route, and maybe you're at Sunday night service, maybe Wednesday night service, but the other rest of the days of the week, you don't open your Bible? I've been to way too many churches where I see people come in on a Sunday morning and walk to their pew and pick up their Bible and go to Sunday school. I've seen that happen too much. I don't think it means that everybody's got one at home. Is this book near and dear to you? We're going to have an invitation. Tonight, I want to encourage you to do business with God. If you're tonight, we're challenged throughout the message. I would encourage you, as she plays this invitation hymn, in fact, tonight, let's just, why don't we all stand? Let's stand tonight. Just close your eyes in a spirit of prayer, no looking around. If God has spoken to you tonight, then I would encourage you to come do business with God. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.